Hey, it's Jane here. We do talk about child sex abuse in this episode, which I know can be distressing. So if you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org or for 24 hours free counselling in Australia, the number for Lifeline is 13 11 14. Please look after yourself. Coming up next on The Breadwinning Mums. The words that I found really healed me is when the one person I needed to believe me actually said to me, and it took it took me 30 years to hear the words, and I didn't realise that's what I had been waiting for. Mm. But when I finally had a conversation with this person about what had happened, actually I realised all I needed from her, all I needed to feel better was to hear from her that she believed me. Mm. And she said to me, yes, I've always believed you, but I'd never heard her tell me that because we'd never had a conversation about it because it was always brushed under the rug. And so I would say, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And I believe you. debunk the myths of working mums, cheer each other on and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise. Today we're chatting with Trisha Gutka, a fellow breadwinning mum with two children. Trisha is a women's empowerment and happiness coach at Blow Away the Clouds. She shared with us her mission to empower moms from all walks of life, explained quick techniques to help moms snap out of overwhelm, and courageously shared her personal story of being a survivor of child sex abuse and overcoming depression. Here we go with Trisha Gutka. Trisha. Hi, lovely to see you, Jane. Lovely to see you again. It's only uh, four o'clock in the afternoon here in Sydney time, but I know it's seven o'clock in the morning in London. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for making the time and thank you for reaching out. So I actually uh, received an email from you saying that you listened to one of our episodes with Julie Parkinson and how you could share a few um, similarities with her stories and you could relate to that, right? Um, But before we go into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So like you said, I'm uh, based in London right now, but I grew up traveling the world. So I, you know, was born in Zambia. I lived in UK for a while. We moved to Hong Kong, the US for a while. Um, So it's been a life of travel, 
I've, <laughs> you know, I've learned to be very adaptable because actually it involved going from country to country and, you know, attending four different high schools. And so it's, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting, but really lovely life journey, actually, because I've got to know so many people from so many different places. Mm. How was the whole now, transient life for you? Did you like it or did you hate it? Um, I think at that age, it was a bit, it was exciting because our first move was from, well, the first major move that I recall anyway was from the UK to the US. And, you know, my parents said to us, we're going to Disney World. And as a child, you're like, oh my gosh, we're moving to Disney World. And it was so exciting. You know? <laughs> I mean, the reality is you're not moving to Disney World but um it was it was interesting because you just learned so much about how just people are different education is different um you know systems are different and it was it was a it was very eye-opening mm. eye-opening but it was it was nice it was I really I think it instilled in me quite a good uh travel bug <laughs> Great. And that leads us to where you are now in London. Um, what are you busy with these days? Yeah, so I'm, like you said, in London and I'm a coach. So I'm actually a um, life coach, but especially for mums with young kids, sort of primary school, nursery, babies, um, because it's such a tumultuous time when mums are going through that. It's everything is different and no one when you're pregnant or even before you're pregnant tells you just quite how it is there's so much involved that you just don't know about you read the parenting books or you listen to like podcasts or whatever but there's so much there like the under the surface things as a mum that you just aren't aware of and then you become a mum and you're like oh my gosh like I didn't know about this and some of it is you know even if people talked about it before you have a baby and when you're pregnant, you just think everything is so wonderful anyway because you're so loved up. But things do change. And sometimes, you know, things are great, but sometimes they can be really, really hard and it's such a struggle. And, you know, that's something we know. I mean, there's, you know, postpartum depression and anxiety and things like that after pregnancy or like when you have your baby, it's, you know, that's common now. That's not a new thing. But there's other elements of your life that also change that you're just not prepared for and you don't know about and it can be really overwhelming to try and find that balance between self and work and your husband and looking after the baby and you know and if you're a carer of other people also looking after them great thank you for that so through uh it's called living epically right so through living living epically your mission is to empower Mums, especially those with younger kids who are still adjusting to the new motherhood um, and learning who to prioritize when and how. How are you currently um, doing that? Well, I do it through a coaching program. So Living Ethically is like my signature program, but it's a one-to-one thing that I take mums through and it's a full eight-week program. Um and it's structured so that we look at each part of their lives. Uh, we look at like we look at health, their own health, look at parenting, like the parent they really want to be, their relationship with their partner, their spouse. They look at themselves and who they are and who they want to be. Um, and then work and, you know, I tie work in with purpose, to be honest, because 
they are quite connected in the way we look at things, the way you know, society is. Um, we also look at just, you know, what are the values? And we really get quite deep into where you want to go and discover what that is so that you don't lose yourself in the journey. And the reason I started this program is because actually I found that after I had children, I kind of lost myself and who I was. And I think that's a pretty common thing. You know, people will say to you, well, you know, things like, what do you like? What do you enjoy? And as a new mum, you're like, what do you mean? Like hobbies? What hobbies? I don't have time for hobbies. (laughs) It's like some foreign concept. And you remember that time before where it was like, oh, yes, there used to be things I used to do for me. And that's not the case anymore. And you kind of lose yourself through motherhood sometimes because all of a sudden your role as a mum becomes the primary factor in your life. You're no longer yourself. You are so-and-so's mum. I'm guilty of this too. I mean, when your kids start school, I have mum saved in my phone as somebody's mum. Yes. Yeah, and not their name. No, and not their name. It's pretty crazy, right? Like, you wouldn't have done that before. Yeah. And so you become this kind of entity that's just like belonging to the child. And it's and I say, you know, it's it's no bad thing to be a mum. I love it. It's great. You know, I love every minute of being a mother, but it's about not losing yourself either. And how do you go through that journey of motherhood without losing who you are and keeping who you are and knowing what your dreams are and knowing that you don't have to let them go. You can actually get them can actually achieve them and how do we go about doing that Mm, okay that's excellent so can you take us back to uh, a moment in time uh to maybe a five or six year old trisha what was she like i was i think i was quite a serious child actually because i i lived with my grandmother in my early years um and she was quite a serious character actually (laughs) and so I was quite a serious child um but I just I I remember just always feeling like I had some I don't don't remember really about five or six years old but I grew up with a sense of always having to be responsible and having a sense of responsibility yeah because I was the oldest as well like of three you sound you sound like it (laughs) Yeah, I was the oldest of three. And so it was always a bit like, you know, I just remember this sense of responsibility and having to be good and that kind of thing, you know. But, you know, there were things I loved, which I think probably started from when I was a kid. Um, it's like, you know, I absolutely love dancing. And that definitely started from when I was a child. And, mm. You know, that love of dancing has never gone away. Yeah. Um and I'm quite active and I think that started from when I was young too because my parents were very big on just making sure we were out and doing things actively during the weekends and you know health and fitness was a very big thing for my dad so <laughs> we were always out and about. Oh that's good it sounds like you're equally um, equal parts you know responsible as well as active and expressive. Take us back to um, your current life then. So obviously you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a life coach as well. 
How are you juggling everything? Well, this is an interesting question because, you know, there's always so much talk about how do you juggle stuff as a mum or how do you juggle stuff as a woman who's got children and you've got a career and you've got a job. And I think it's about sitting down and working out what's really important because it's so easy to fall under the whole trap of, oh my gosh, I'm just 100% overwhelmed and I'm not sure, like, there's just too much to do and I can't get it done. And it's not to say that things get easier or you have less to do, but I, I don't so much juggle as I just use like really good organizational skills. Like I make sure that I time block and I'm very realistic about what I can get done and when. Mm. And, and again, like setting priorities. So, you know, my helping moms is, I, I love it. It's like a passion not really mm. a job so I don't see it as going to work which is amazing mm. for me um, but I make sure I do that when the kids are at school or around the times when they're actively doing other things mm. because it's important for me and it's just my priority it's not that it has to be for everybody I understand that but for me and I have the flexibility as well I should add right because I work for myself but I make sure that, you know, when I pick my kids up from school, I'm home and then actually I'm free between the hours of picking them up and, you know, bedtime for them. Yeah, Because that's time I want, to spend, I want to be there for them. I want to spend that time with them and that's really important. Hmm. And so I make sure I do that. And if that means then, you know, after I put them to bed, I need to work for an hour, then, you know, sometimes I'll do that. And sometimes it'll have to be early, like this one, when it's seven o'clock in the morning. You yeah, know? and that's fine too, because actually I work with people all over the world, and that means that there's going to be time zone shuffling, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's just about prioritizing, really. I think, and being really organized and being very realistic. And, you know, it's one of the things I teach actually, which I I discovered um, quite a few years ago, and I'll talk to you about my journey to getting here in a little bit but one of the things I learned is just to say no mm. and I tell you what that was like a game changer for me because I think when we when we're growing up and when we're little and you know as we get through like teenage years and I think especially as a woman I think we're mm. a girl you're just you're mm. taught not to say no like you shouldn't say no you have yeah. to say yes if someone wants something or there are expectations on you and you have to fulfill them or you're not this good mm. girl or you're not being a good wife or a good mother or a good daughter or a mm. sister or whatever it is or a good friend like you feel like this pressure to say yes to everything mm. and actually I learned that you don't have to say yes to anything mm. at all the only things you have to say yes to are the things that you actually want to do and so that's what I started doing is I started saying no and all of a sudden it just it felt so much freer. It really freed up so much of my time and mental energy because now I don't spend time having to schedule in or squeeze in jobs and things that are non-essential hmm. and things that I don't want to do. So you hmm. just prioritize and stuff go. It's just it's not necessary. Yep. Nice. I love yep. it. <laughs> So yeah. you're a mom to two kids. Can you tell us a little bit more yeah. about your kids? Yeah, I have a 12-year-old son who is a 
starting his second year of high school now. It's just, you know, and I look at him and I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe how fast he grew up. Like, how is this happening? And yeah. I know that that's like, you know, every mum everywhere, especially yeah. with like school starting now as well, when they're going back from like holidays and it's like, gosh, how is my child in the next year up? Um, and also he's just getting so tall. I can't, how? Like, I'm sure I wasn't anywhere near <laughs> yeah. that. Was yeah. really my height now. It's a bit crazy he's a really he's a really calm considered child and he's really sweet um he's very sweet uh my daughter's the <laughs> oh gosh i'm hesitating she's 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 so different <laughs> the, the second one's always the wild card especially after you set it up she's she's absolutely brilliant she's um she's 10 and she's just, I don't think I've ever, and I know she's my child and saying so this is like, <laughs> like such a biased opinion, but I don't think I've ever met anybody whose brain works in quite the same way. She's so out of the box. Like, I don't, I don't think she even realized that there is a box half the time. <laughs> and it's just brilliant. It's so great. Like, she has so much confidence. And yeah. I look at her and I think, wow, it just, just it's incredible to see how much confidence she has just in who she is yeah and she's like you know not being bad by peer pressure or all the other things you know and it's just yeah I love it <laughs> wow <laughs> how have you had... oh no that sounds great and sometimes you feel this uh really weird pride knowing their character their individual characteristics and traits and you thought how did that come out of this <laughs> so yeah I mean I remember when she was I mean she's 10 now and I think she must have been about four and I was putting her in the car because they were going for a sleepover at my brother's house and she said to me mommy are you coming to stay and I said no I said daddy's got stuff to do this weekend so I'm just going to stay at home with him and she looked at me and she was like literally only four or five years old and she said to me mommy you know you have your own mind you can do what you want too <laughs> like, oh my gosh like, oh my gosh. yes I've done my job <laughs> yeah it's like that. yes I've done my job but it's like it's having it back at you and you're just yeah. like oh well yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Okay. So let's talk about um, living epically, especially these five instant calm techniques that you've introduced. Um, Can you run through it quickly and um, how we can do it in say when we're pressured for time and we just really need to find our calm? How do we do it? Absolutely. It's, It's basically just a list of techniques which you can do anywhere. Mm. absolutely anywhere and it's going to bring you just you know it'll just be basically reset because sometimes you're just running around having a really hectic day there's so much going on and and I know I've had them too where you're just like oh my gosh I just need a minute I just need a minute and I need to reset and just think and I just need to move myself out of where I am right now I need everything to stop and just be quiet and so even if you're in the car you know, or you're at home, just like go into a room and just close the door for like a few minutes or go into the kitchen and like, you know, just take a breath. But they're just 
five techniques just to help you calm down. And it's really simple things like just movement, but really gentle, slow movements just to help you get to where you need to be. And, you know, there's just refocusing your breath, which is so important because when you refocus your breath and you concentrate on it, it will make a huge physiological difference too. I mean, when you're breathing really heavy or breathing fast, or sometimes, um, I remember there used to be times where I would just like stop breathing and you don't even realize you're doing it until someone points it out to you. Mm. Um, just it causes your body to go into a bit of a stress, really. Yeah. All of these yeah. things. And so mm. it's just taking that minute to like take some deep breath mm. and just reground yourself. Just close mm. your eyes and just focus internally. And just doing that for a few minutes or even five minutes is just, you know, that will just help set you up. Um, and also just taking a minute to think about, you know, where you are in the present and just focusing what you need to get done right now and just, you know, looking at what you're grateful for right now, and just looking through those things. So it's so the instant five, the five instant calm techniques, it's really just like it's a it's a little guide which, you know, you can read it, you can keep with you. And wherever you are, it will just help you. Even if you don't do all five and you don't need to, you can even just do one of them. You know, on, and everyone has, you know, a day where things are just hard and you're running short of time or running behind or whatever it is. And I have them too. I mean, I've had, you know, tough, you know, I had a really tough June actually, for example. So, you know, I was using a lot of these techniques myself. Um, and even just a few minutes of just one of those techniques, you don't have to run through all five, but it's just basically giving you something in your toolbox that you can use going forward just to help you sort of snap out of that. Mm. Amygdala driven. Yeah. Mm. You know, no Light. matter where you are. Light. Day. Yeah. Mm. So you can pick all five if you've got more time or you just pick one of them, or two of them, and you just sort of reground yourself, recenter yourself, refocus yourself kind of brings the stress levels down and then you're ready to carry on with your day again. Mm. Which one is your favorite one? What's your go-to if you had five seconds to do something and your kids are screaming at you? Oh my gosh, it's the breathing one. Yeah, It's the breathing one. I find it makes such a difference. It's just, it's Mm. getting that oxygen and just refocusing on myself and internally. And I think also partly because I do a lot of meditation, so it just brings me very quickly into that zen mm. space but even without the meditation mm. it's something that you can use so it's you know there are different breathing techniques and the one I use a lot is I just I close my eyes you know you breathe in for, for like five counts but when you're breathing in you know there are and this is it's, it's something that was quite interesting for me to learn and you're breathing in you can breathe in into your chest so you'll feel your chest rising and then you know you can breathe into your belly because you'll feel your belly expanding. Mm. And that's where kids breathe, for example. You know, you'll see when they breathe, their stomach always goes in and out. But as we get to adulthood, we stop breathing so deeply so we don't use the full capacity of our lungs. But you breathe in so you feel your belly, you feel your chest because you'll feel your chest rising. You should also feel the sides of your chest moving outwards. So your ribs should, like, move outwards a bit. So you're filling three areas of your lungs. So when you're filling all three and really focus on it, and the outwards one is harder. So if you put your hands on the sides of your ribs and then you breathe in, you should feel that expanding 
And if you don't feel it, keep practicing and trying to expand that. And then you'll see that actually all of a sudden you can take more air in. Mm. So you're breathing into all these different areas. You're breathing in for five, you hold for five, and then you breathe out for five. And it's called box breathing, but I do that five times. And it just really helps to reground me like feet on the ground just breathing and you know in a moment of like absolute stress where you're just so overwhelmed and you don't have time to take this you know you just take a really deep breath in and this is amazing because it's almost like instantaneous and then you hold it and then you think you can't breathe in anymore because you're completely full your lungs are completely full and you do another really quick breath in like on top of that just really fast and you hold it and then you let it out really slowly and that extra bit opens up all the little parts, like the small sacs in your lungs, um, mm. increases the you know surface area for oxygen to get through into your blood, and mm. all of a sudden you'll just feel better. But that was it. That's a really good instant one. Like don't do it all the time, all day long. <laughs> yeah, but it's really good. So breathing for me, if I don't have a lot of time, it's the one I go to the most. Mm. That's so interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure whether if you know this, I've just recently completed an MBA degree and they've actually yeah. taught us how to do box breathing and the army did this yeah. as well. And it's just like one of the shortcut techniques for you to just reset and yes. get yourself away from that amygdala hijack, you know, and function in a rational, contained way. So that's interesting. It's, it works in different parts of life. If you have to choose one most memorable client journey in how you've helped a mum with young kids with their transition throughout motherhood, what was the most memorable journey that you've um, helped a young mum? It was it was actually quite recent. It was earlier this year, and it was it was really memorable for me because actually it's somebody I'm still in touch with, even though we've kind of finished the whole program. But it was there was such a difference in when she started. And when she started the program, she actually wasn't even sure if she wanted it or if she needed it. But she decided, mm. well, do you know what? Let me just do this anyway. And she did. And partway through, she realized actually just how much she needed this. Mm. You know, after the first session, she was oh my goodness, I've never sat down to actually think about this. And it was really memorable for me because one of the things I say to all mums is at the end of the at the end of the coaching program, the Living Epically Coaching Program, you're not suddenly going to feel a million times better and you've achieved all of your dreams. What it is, is it's really giving you the tools to help you get there. And you know, it's a lifetime thing. If you've taken this program or if anyone takes my program or goes into this coaching program with me and at the end of it, you know, they're like, oh yeah, that was really good. Yes, I did that program like six months ago and that was really good, but now it's over. Then really we haven't done it well enough because it should be something that's made a fundamental impact in your life and changed it for the better and given you the tools to keep on going and make your life better and better and better. And so with this mum, it was incredible because she, 
after our session to do with relationships, she went back in the following week because I give also these like um, sort of self-work every week. And it's not that you have to sit down and like fill in forms and whatever. It's not like a lot of homework, but it's things that you can put in practically because it's really important. You're a mum. You don't have time to go off and do lots of extra work. Everything that happens has to really fit into your life and it's got to be practical and it's got to be sustainable more than anything because otherwise you're just not going to do it. And it's a waste of your time. It's, you know, and I haven't done my job either. Um, so after the relationship one, I remember she came back the following week and said, to her, you know, how did your week go and how did self-work go? And she just came back and she was like, oh, my gosh, like in that one week, just having the conversations that we needed to have and addressing the things that I needed to address in that particular way, because I talk a lot about communication as well and what it is you want and need and how to communicate that. It's like it was transformative for her. And all of a sudden she went from where she thought her relationship was to where she just didn't realize it could go in the space of a week. And that transformation mm. was, you know, in that relationship section was amazing. But actually the reason I chose her to talk about is because she's been going through a really hard time recently, actually. And she phoned me up a few weeks ago and she said to me, thank you, because the tools and the skills and the knowledge that you gave me through that program have really really helped me mm. go through this recent patch mm. because she's gone through such a hard time in the last month and you know things knock you sideways when you don't see them coming and that's what's happened for her and she said she would have been bowled over and life would have been much harder but actually it's you know the things she learned really helped her move forward and you know, just we haven't talked about this, but just to point out or just to mention, actually, not rather than point out. The reason I started living ethically is because I went through depression for, you know, well over a decade. And it started before my kids were born and continued quite a few years after, to be honest. And I just, I didn't really know where to go with it. And I didn't know how to get better. And initially it was just like bigger picture. Living epically started because I decided one day I couldn't live like I was living anymore and I needed to get better. There was no other way because the other option wasn't something I was going to entertain. Hmm. Yeah, basically. Um, you know, I'd been through that process of, I just didn't know some days whether it would be worth seeing the next day, mm. you know, and I'd have to remind myself that, yes, yes, it is because I've got children and they're really young and they need me and all of that stuff. Mm. And that whole journey to get better was really hard. It was really difficult and it took so much learning. And so when I started living ethically, it wasn't, it wasn't to help people who have depression or mums who have depression, but it was to say that actually there's so much overwhelm as a mum and there's so much going on in your life and there's so much change in your relationship in your health and who you are in your career like so much going on all in one time all in one go and that doesn't necessarily mean you have depression or anything like that but you could just be feeling low and even if you're not feeling low there's always better to go so this client I have who wasn't sure that she wanted to take this program with me, but she did it anyway. And then she's the one who called me up a few weeks ago saying, you know, it's just, it's been amazing. 
And so everything I teach is everything I learned mm. to take me and make my life what it is now. Mm. To get better and to actually live the life I really, really love. And it's not about the materialistic things. It's not about, you know, the gigantic house, which I don't have, or like the amazing car, which I don't have. Um, it's about learning actually what's important to you and figuring out how to live the life you love and what does that look like for you? How do you get to that? And looking at your life every day and saying, actually, I love it. So you're at the end of the day, when you fall into bed, you're not falling into bed exhausted thinking, oh, I'm so tired. And that's it. It's just another day gone. And you're not waking up thinking, oh, gosh, I just can't get out of bed this morning. There's so much to do. You're getting out of bed thinking, I want to get up today. I have such a great day ahead. I'm so excited about today. And when you fall into bed at night, you're falling into bed thinking, I've had such a great day. This has been amazing. Mm. And so everything I teach is actually based on everything I've learned and everything I still do. And so when she called me to say to me, you know, this has really helped me. Thank you through this really hard time. I was like, oh, that's really good to hear because you you've know, done your job. That means, yeah, that means. And like, you've helped another mum, another family. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, it's, and it's, you know, and I can, I can say, I can do the coaching, I can do my part, but really it's about the mums and how much they put in because it only works if, they yeah. want to make that change. Yeah. yeah, because you're teaching them how to develop their own toolkit, but at the end they still need to take out those tools and use them and yeah. own them, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about your depression and 10 years is a very long time. Sometimes you may notice, like in the beginning of it, sometimes you may notice that you are depressed, but sometimes you may not. And it's easy to think maybe I was just tired or maybe life is just crap right now. How did it all started and what led you through to the other side? Um, I don't know when it started to be honest I don't know when it started I know that in my early 20s or even in my late teen years I wasn't happy um because I'd gone through various forms of abuse in my teenage years um at the hands of like different people and given our culture I'm Indian because this is a podcast you probably can't see but given our culture, and I think it's Asian culture, to be honest, and, you know, and that's even pigeonholing it because I've got friends who are just, you know, all over the world. And it's not just an Asian culture thing. Let me take that back. It's actually a lot of cultures, um, no matter where you're from. Um, it's only recently that we've started to talk about things like abuse or sexual abuse openly. And so when I was a teenager, this isn't something we talked about, but it's something I went through, it's something I experienced. And at that time, I didn't tell anybody because I just didn't feel able to. So I just kept it secret. Um, and then the second time it happened to me, I didn't tell anybody either because I actually, in my own mind, refused to accept that that's what was happening. 
and it was really hard for me to put a label on it. And then I went off to university. So that happened in my like very late years at university, uh, at high school, sorry. And then I went off to university and I was in a different country. And so I think to be honest, if I'm honest with myself, my depression probably started in my late teen years, but I just didn't recognize the symptoms or realize that's what it was because I wasn't happy and I would get really sad, but it was, and I think it was a bit of a manifestation of not dealing with yeah, all of the, the trauma, trauma. I had been through. Mm. Yeah. Like I'd just not spoken about it. I'd not seen a therapist. I'd not dealt with it in any form. I just tried to sweep it all under the rug and carry on to the point where I didn't want to put a label on this is what has actually happened to me. Mm. I just don't think about it. It's over. And there was an enormous amount of anger yeah. whenever I thought about these people. And unexpressed um, anger as well because yeah, you didn't talk very about much it. Because- didn't yeah. talk about it and it just yeah. all bottles up inside really yeah um so i go out with my friends and you know day to day was just like you probably couldn't tell from the outside that all of this was happening internally um you know and you know i got married in my late 20s and i think it just kind of went downhill because i and it wasn't to do with marriage it wasn't to do with the fact that i got married to my husband or anything like that he's great it's just myself and the fact that I hadn't dealt with issues and somewhere along the way I kind of began to lose who I was and it it went further I think after I got married because then I without even realizing it I think tried to become more of who more of the kind of women I'd seen my family members be like you know after they got married they had to do things and like be a certain way and and it's ridiculous and I know and I know on a practical level how crazy it is and actually you know the family I married into are not like that at all they would have just wanted me to be exactly who I am but for whatever reason I just didn't realize that I wasn't being actually true to who I was it's the so responsible I, Trisha that wanted to please everyone and yes, thought that she and, needed to be a certain way and tick a certain boxes. Yeah, that's exactly it, what it is. It's that mm. people-pleasing side of you that kicks in and, mm-hmm. you know, you're just trying to be that person who yeah. people like and, you know, yeah. you're helpful, useful, you're just you're doing the right things, you know. Yeah, because you're a married woman now. You need to be together. You need to do the right things, you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, what are those? So right it all compounded. Really, it all compounded and so it just got really bad. And I just knew that, you know, I was having bad days. And then it got to I would just have like, yeah, that's just me. I just have like this breakdown once a month where I spend like, you know, two days just like solidly crying and can't hold it together Mm. but it's okay because you know look at the bigger picture and you know I'd say to myself you know look at the bigger picture I'm actually really lucky I've got people who love me I've got a home I've got you know food on the table and there's so much going for me and I've got nothing to complain about I've got so much in my life to be grateful for so I need to just suck this up yeah you're trying to gratitude your way out of your depression yeah like stop (laughs) feeling feeling sorry for yourself you know get happy this is ridiculous when did you know that yeah. you were depressed though when did it finally click that okay I'm in the midst of it I'm in the deep and I gotta deal with with this it actually clicked during um a period where 
my well it was two things actually one was my sister was having a baby her first one and the second one was my brother was getting married hmm. and you know they were sort of very well the first time well my brother got married in the same year my sister had a baby so that year I remember thinking oh my gosh I should be really overjoyed and so happy right now because we're very close as siblings and I should be so happy right now and there was a part of me that was happy but there was a much bigger part of me that just felt dead inside mm. like a complete void like just apathy zero feeling mm. and I remember thinking to myself wow there is something very seriously wrong here I mm. need to fix this mm. something really wrong here this isn't right and that was that was the point at which I think I realized that all my bigger picture thinking and internal pep talks weren't going to get me anywhere. Mm. It was a much bigger issue here and I needed to do something about it. Mm. And that's when that happened. Um, it was just that feeling of complete apathy. Mm. And how did you claw yourself out of that um, space? I, do you know, I, I had therapy twice um two different types of therapy one was cbt one was talking therapy and you know they were great but they didn't really get me out of it um what's cbt yeah cognitive behavioral therapy um so yep. i did that and you know but they said to me you know pick one thing that you want to work on and i remember thinking to myself oh my gosh i i don't have one thing i have like 300 things and mm. <laughs> and just as an aside you know, when I was looking for a therapist, I actually had uh, somebody call me up and say, you know, we want to like, you know, we, we, I was on a waiting list and they phoned me up and they said, you know, we've got some availability, like, just let's talk through this. And at the end of it, she said to me on the phone, you've got too many problems. Sorry, we can't help you. And then hung up. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Thank like, you. I remember sitting in my car. <laughs> And I was sitting in my car and it was raining and I just sat there crying in my car like oh my gosh <laughs> oh my too God. many problems it's pretty yeah. insane it's pretty insane and so you know but I remember it was one day I was standing in my live in my dining room and I remember thinking oh my gosh I can't remember the last time I laughed I can't remember the last mm. time I fully laughed and I remember doing this mm. I remember in my past I've done this mm. you know where like your sides hurt because you're laughing so hard mm. And I can't remember the last time I smiled and it was a genuine smile, not just a smile I pasted on my face yep. because I have to look the part. Yeah. Um, and that was the day that it really changed because before that I'd been trying, I'd done the therapy, I'd taken like courses and read the books and all the rest of it and nothing had really taken hold or worked. And that was the day I decided, you know what? I need to get better. I need to get better because I am going to find my laugh and I'm going to find my smile. That's mm. it. There's just no option. That's it. And I and I think it was that because I think for me that was my why. And if you find like, you know, your why, if you find your motivation that comes from inside you rather than externally, because before mm. that it was all like, I've got kids, I've got to get better. Mm. I've got a family to look after. Mm. You know, I've got people relying on me. I can't be this way and so it wasn't for me it was for everybody else that I felt yeah. I needed to get better that was the day actually mm. I made a decision that actually I just want to laugh mm. I want to laugh and actually feel it and mean it mm. 
and know what that's like again. And that was the day it changed, sure. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That was lovely. And so how old were your kids then when you said to yourself, I needed to feel what it's like to laugh again, to smile genuinely? So they were five and my older one was seven. Did your relationship with them change from that point onwards? Um, I think, I don't know if it has particularly changed. I see a change in our family as a whole to be honest um Mm. because it was with them I've always just been me Mm. and I know I tried my very best Mm. and I gave them as much as I possibly could which was quite a lot to be honest um you know I was there for everything and I was stay-at-home mum at the time for both when they were young and so I was with them all the time so they never I don't, they never felt neglected or wanting for me, I think. Mm. Um, and it shows because actually we're very close mm. and they do come to me with everything. And, you know, there's a lot of effect, you know, I don't know how many times I hug them or they come and hug me during the day, you know, mm. it's just, it's a constant thing. Um, but it has changed in terms of, I think there's more, our household is calmer because mm. I'm happier. Mm. So it's a really funny thing because you know that you know that thing where people say put your oxygen mask on first. Like you know, think about what you want, and I say it all the time. Like think about what you want and who you want to be, and find the things that make you happy and do those things. And if that means mm. like taking an hour out of your day where you're not with your kids but you're doing yoga or you're going for a walk or going for a coffee with a friend. Mm. then do that because you're not neglecting your kids and you're not loving them any less and they're not going to think you are but actually just that act of you being happy actually makes a massive difference to your entire home life and I found that it has massively impacted my home life so in terms of like my relationship with my kids we're still very close but I think we have a lot more fun together we definitely laugh a lot more now Mm. we play we've always actually played but I feel more awake for it. Yeah. Whereas before it was a bit like sleepwalking. Yeah. Yeah. Half numb, half there and half not. Okay. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thanks for sharing. Okay. I'm going to ask a rather heavy question. Um, If you could go back to your younger self, the first incident of the assault what advice would you give the young Trisha, knowing all of the wealth of knowledge and resources that you have now? I would say it's not your fault. And I believe you. Because it's pretty extraordinary, but having gone through everything, and yes, there's therapy and all the rest of dealing with the emotion of the trauma and you know mentally everything that goes with it but actually the words that I found really healed me 
is when the one person I needed to believe me actually said to me, and it took, it took me 30 years to hear the words. And I didn't realize that's what I had been waiting for. Mm. But when I finally had a conversation with this person about what had happened, actually, I realized all I needed from her, all I needed to feel better was to hear from her that she believed me. Mm. And she said to me, yes, I've always believed you, but I never heard her tell me that because we never had a conversation about it because it was always brushed under the rug. Yeah. And so I would say it's not your fault because you go through so much thinking, did I do something wrong? Did I encourage this? Did I wear the wrong clothes? Was I in the wrong place? Should I not have said that? Should I not have done that? Yeah, You're a child. Yeah. Like, none yeah. of it's your fault. Mm. So it's not your fault. And I believe you. Mm. you know? And after that, it would be talk about it. Mm. As hard as it is, talk about it. But I think the talk about it advice would rather than be for me, it would be for all the parents and the adults around the child and just say, child might tell you they don't want to talk about it. Like, that's what I said. I don't want to talk about it. You know, because mm. I told, I mean, the first time it happened to me, I was 12, 13. And I didn't tell anyone about that till I was 15. Mm. And at 15, I mentioned it once. And I said, and then after that, I said, I don't want to talk about it. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. We just didn't talk about it ever again. Mm. And I think when a 15-year-old or a child who's gone through something like this says to you, I don't want to talk about it, yes, you want to respect their wishes mm. and you want to make sure that they're feeling good, like not feeling good, but feeling, you know, as supported as they can be. And if that means they don't want to talk about it, then you go with that. And also, parents just don't know how to talk about these things. Adults don't no. know how to talk about these things. Yeah. They don't know yeah. how to. This isn't, there's no manual. You didn't go through some classes that were compulsory to make you learn these things. It's not something you know, you're just trying to wing it, but you're trying to wing it at the worst time. Mm. So I don't blame anybody for listening to me when I said, I don't want to talk about it. But now I would go back and say, kids may say they don't want to talk about it, mm. but then book them into therapy, find them counseling, and find ways to talk about it. To get through it. it out in the open mm. and makes it. Because, because the reason why it... you said you didn't want to talk about it was because you were afraid, right? And yes. you haven't built the vocabulary and the mental strength to go through the whole thing because it was so traumatic. So I'm, I hope that the fact that we are discussing about it opens up or allows or raise awareness to other parents and other moms Um to say that it's okay to talk about these things with your children because it's very important. And I think I, I shared this with you as well. Although it didn't happen in the physical sphere, I experienced unwanted advances from a family friend. It was actually my mom's best friend's husband. And we thought that perpetrators usually, you know, are these bad guys who hide in the shadows and yeah. hold a knife or something, but it's usually someone who's close to the family. So be, don't be, um, just be aware that, you know, these risks happen. Um, but it, it did affect me mentally for weeks, months, years on end because 
as a child, you haven't built that capability. I didn't even know what it was all about, you know. Um, So this person, he gave me a call out of the blue. I was about 16 to 17 at the time. And then he started telling me what he wanted to do to me and what he wanted me to do to him. And then he finished off. Um, I grew up uh, in a Catholic family. I grew up in church. I had no idea what sex was. It was for all I knew, it was just from a sex ed, you know, I saw the banana and the condom, but that was it. I had no idea what the whole thing was about. Um, And so it haunted me at night. I didn't know what the finishing was, you know, so it just sounded really weird. So I'm really sorry that it happened to you at such an early age, twice from different people. It was, must be really harrowing. Um, But I hope the fact that we are talking about this openly in an open forum encourages other people to to say that these things happen. Yes, as parents, we do need to be alert. Um, and if it does happen, tread it carefully, gently, but also talk about it because it is important. Otherwise, you know, there it builds up. Absolutely. And, you know, I on that note, it does build up and talk about it, talk about it openly. And, you know, my mum, I remember when I was growing up, my mum always said to me, be careful if anything happens, you know, if anyone touches you in a way you don't want, make sure you come and talk to me. So she did talk to me about all this. It's not that I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what those things were because I was so young. But, you know, I wasn't unaware of, you know, this is my body, nobody should touch me, all of those things. Like my mum had already put those messages in my mind like she'd been talking to me about this it's not that I didn't know and she'd always said to me if anything happens come and talk to me but when it happened I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody because it was so shocking yeah and it was just so much all in one go and it was so overwhelming and like you said I was too young I was too young to understand actually what was happening and too young to process it. I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't have the emotional intelligence. I didn't have the capacity, the maturity to deal with what was going on. And the problem with not then having the therapy or actually processing it with professional help afterwards is those things stay with you even when you think Mm. you've put it behind you because you Mm. do think put it behind you until something happens and then it's a trigger. Yeah. So when I went through something again at mm. 15, 16, not, not 16, sorry, I was like 17. When I went through that again at 16, 17, I remember the first time it happened, I fought back. Mm. But then I wasn't strong enough. I was physically weaker. So it happened anyway. So then after a while, I just learned to stay still and just not do anything because it would be over fast. Mm. But the pro, but in that time, like I nobody knew about that until I started talking about it in my forties, which means again, it's like another trauma which I hadn't dealt with, hadn't spoken about. And the problem with not dealing with this is, if I had spoken about or had therapy or whatever it is for the first time round, mm. then maybe I would have been better equipped to talk about what was happening to me later. Mm. But I wasn't. But even after that, I didn't go and help myself or tell anybody. Mm. So then when I hit 28, 29, I was in a car accident and I went to see a doctor and I was getting acupuncture. Mm. 
and I was sexually assaulted by this doctor. Oh my uh, god, instead I'm of, so you know, sorry. So much but instead oh, of instead mm. of saying no, I am an adult now and I know what's happening, my yeah. brain automatically yeah. just switched off. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so my brain, instead of saying, this is wrong, this shouldn't happen, stop this from happening, mm. just thought, you know what? I am in so much pain right now because so of tough. this car accident. My yeah. back is so sore. So if this acupuncture doctor is helping me feel better because the acupuncture is helping, then the rest of the stuff just doesn't matter and it's not relevant anyway because maybe that's just part of the acupuncture. Maybe that's what's supposed to be happening. I don't know. You make up some crazy story in your head. Yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, when it's happening, you're just like your brain is elsewhere. Mm. Right. It was only when he tried to kiss me after after I got off the therapy table and everything, and he leaned in and he tried to kiss me, and then I was like, and for whatever reason, that was the trigger for me to say, absolutely not. And then I went to the police and I was like, I need to do something about this. And you know, it ended up in a trial and whatever. And he he went free because this is all about evidence, and there's obviously oh never ever enough evidence, so he's still out there. Um, but. You know, it's talk about it because if you talk about it, then you can get the help you need. And if you get the help you need, then this doesn't affect you going into your adult years in ways that you don't even realize it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure like some people must think, well, it's just crazy. Of course, you know, like that there's something wrong that that shouldn't be happening. But actually, as a trauma victim, as somebody who's gone through sexual abuse, you just don't. You really just disassociate. Your brain is not, your yeah. brain and your body is a major disconnection. Mm. You're just not there anymore. You're not present. Yeah, people do that to basically go in a safe place in your mental mind, yes. right? Because if you can't be present in your physical existence, you just go to that other corner. I'm so sorry, Trisha, that it happened and that the fact that those people got away with it. How can we help mums with uh, children who have experienced trauma and in particular sexual assault? As mums, we have, you know, the spidey sense, right? We have ways to know yeah. things that have not been explained. Um, so I suspect your mum might have noticed that you were a little bit different um, from oh, the days yeah. before. So if you could give your mum three advice when you were 12 years old, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, do you know, I will just point out, just to clarify, because I know my mum will listen to this too, when this happened to me, my mum wasn't actually around. I was in Texas and my mum was in Hong Kong at the time. Oh, and then okay. I flew out to, well, I flew home um, to Hong Kong, you know, a fair few days after this happened, actually. So she wasn't around, but my aunt was around. And that spidey sense you're talking about, she totally, mm. totally knew because she found me crying and she just, she said to me, you know, I knew something wrong and I knew something happened but I didn't tell her what it was so you're right you know I think as a mum you just know that these things like something something has happened and my advice would be be there 
be there all the time. And I mean, like, you know, affectionately, like, hold your daughter, hold your son, like, hug them, hold them, sit with them, spend more time with them. There's something going on and you don't know what it is. And it might not be this, it might be something else, but whatever it is, spend more time with them, make that time and do things together and have those quiet moments and just talk and just keep talking. And you might, you won't talk about this because they haven't told you this has happened. Why would you bring it up? Right. But if you just start talking, I think about anything really, and just keep having those conversations and keep having hard conversations and keep having open conversations and always leave that door open for them to turn around and say, by the way, this happened to me. Hmm. And share stories about your life. Share stories about what's gone on in your life because it shows them that you're not infallible either. It shows them that you're also human and you've also gone through a hard time. And therefore, they can relate to you because you understand where they are. And that's the main thing. People want to be understood. You know, even as adults, kids want to be understood. They want someone to say, I get where you are. I understand what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. And while you might not know exactly what's happening with your child, in my opinion, I would say to my mom, you know, just sit and talk with me a whole lot more about all sorts of things, about seriousness. Always leaving that door open for you know, do you want to share anything? Do you want to say anything? Do you want to tell me? What do you think? Mm, for when they're ready to open up. Yeah, for when they're ready. Mm. But if you keep talking about these things and you keep showing them that you're there, mm. and just be there with the affection, be there with the hugs, be physically present a lot. Mm. Because it's, it's a level of support that they need, mm. you know. That's what I would say. That's what I would say. I mean, if your child has told you that something like this has happened, then honestly, one of the first things I would do is find a really good therapist. Mm. I genuinely would, because I don't think as a mum, you're absolutely not equipped to deal with this. Mm. No one's taught you how. You're not a psychologist. You haven't had the training. You know, you've, you may have gone through it yourself, but even if you did, it's entirely different. Mm. Get yourself, go and find a therapist and take your child to help her or him work through this trauma so that they can actually heal on a level that even they don't realize they need to. Yep. Okay. And stranger danger tips for parents. How, were there any... Um... Any signs of future perpetrators? Just little things that your perpetrators did around your family that made it a little bit iffy? No, really nothing. Nothing that I was aware of, nothing that I knew about. I just, I didn't know mm. at all. Like for me, it really came out of blue. Yep. Okay. From my experience, like was it was just, uh, an increased interest from this person towards like my young self. So if I could give out tips to parents out there, if anyone sh like any particular adult shows um, just uh, it's, it, 
it, it's a little bit weird, right? Because like other mums wouldn't show like this particular interest, taking photos, taking videos of your child. Uh, no. That's that's a, a really iffy sign. So you might want to be a little bit more alert with that. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. I mean, the other thing is, I just, I would say, don't discount anybody because we talk about stranger danger, but really mm. it's not strangers, it's people no. you know. Yeah. And it's just like you were saying, like yeah. the majority of this sort of abuse happens by people known to the family and quite mm. close to the family. Mm. And that was the case with me, like known to my family and really close to my family. Mm. Right? In fact, it was a, like a relative, a relative by marriage, but a relative. <sighs> yeah. Right? So no one would say anything because it's a relative. Mm. But just be there for your child and show them you support them because, you know, it's it's such a funny thing. Because it happens by someone who is so close, mm. it puts the child in a really funny position because it's, I'm a child, they're an adult. Mm. Plus, there's already an element of trust between your parents and yeah. that person. Yes. And so as a kid, you're thinking to yourself, are they going to believe me because yeah. it's uncle whoever. Yeah. Right. Are they going to believe me? I'm the child. Yeah. So there's always that element of in the back of the kid's head. But mm. as a parent, I think you have to reinforce, look, you are my priority. I love you more than anybody else. Mm. If you tell me something, I'm going to believe you. End of story. Mm. Because then that gives the confidence to the child to say, actually, this happened or this is going on. Mm. You know, and you're not going to pick somebody else over your kid. And I don't think any mum, you know, in this situation would. But as a child, you just don't. Yeah. You, you're not processing correctly. You don't know that. Mm. You don't see the way. Mm. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing. And no I problem. love how you used your um, past trauma and tribulation to help other women and hopefully other adults um, move beyond their own difficulties so i love that you've turned all this into something beautiful so how could um how could busy mums find you i am well you can always email me at trisha at trishagoodker.com and or you could find me on instagram at at trishagoodker at trishagoodker sorry no a (laughs) at trishagoodker All right. Sounds good. And the last question that I always ask all moms is, what's your alpha mom song? So when you have deadlines looming, you have a lot of clients looking for your time, your kids are sick and you're not feeling well and your husband's screaming, (laughs) what song do you play on the back of your mental mind to make it through the week or through the day? Oh, my gosh. Do you know, that's such a hard question because there's always music in my head and sometimes it's just entirely inappropriate for the situation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's such a difficult one. But there's um, there's a song called Wild Ones and it's just, it's not even related to being like an alpha mum or getting stuff done. But I think the upbeat tempo of it just get me moving faster. Yeah. And then there's a song by which flown straight out my head by Imagine Dragons. Mm. It's one of the Imagine Dragons songs. Really gets me motivated. 
because mm. it's all about just reaching higher and doing better and achieving what you want. And so, yeah, I'd say those two off the top of my head. <laughs> I love it. All right, Trisha, thank you so much for your time and thank you for sharing your journey with us. I love how candid you have been, how um, courageous you have been with your story, but most of all, how transformative you have made your life. So kudos to you. Um, keep doing you. great work for all moms out there and hopefully I'll see you in person one day. Yes, indeed. All right, then. Thank you, Jane. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Breadwinning Mums. Please subscribe and leave us some feedback so we can continue to make the show better for you. If you know a fellow breadwinning mum, please share the show so we can cheer each other on. Until next time.